0: Good morning everybody. It's good to be here, and it's good to be with all of you, and uh, it's good to be in the Lord's house, um, to be together, to know that that God is with us, and we are his people, and it's so special. My name is John Mormon. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm... Uh, I'm the son of immigrant parents who came from uh, the Netherlands in 1948. My folks came from the Netherlands. They uh, they were farm workers in Ontario. Their first house was uh, a chicken coop, and uh, my parents scraped the uh, droppings off the floor of their new house in Canada. And my folks' uh, second house was uh, a little house that was unfinished. Uh, the guy gave up, he couldn't finish it, and my dad was walking back and forth down the street and saw that house with no progress, and he ended up buying that house. And uh, we, uh, we came west to Alberta about uh, 65 years ago, and uh, so I called myself an Alberta boy, and this church is dear to me i uh, been here at College Drive for a long time and have served here in many capacities. This church sent me to the hospital, ordained me in 2006, and commissioned me and sent me to the hospital on a mission to the hospital in 2006, and uh, it's just a pleasure to be on the, on the uh, preaching team here. I thought I'd share just a little bit uh, about myself. Uh, my wife is Jeannie, we have three daughters and three sons-in-laws and seven grandchildren. I like ghost towns and motorcycles, and uh, I'm pretty young at heart, and I just thought I'd share a little bit about myself this morning before we started. And uh, Russ, thanks for your prayer and for praying for me. and. Uh, My prayer at a time like this is from Psalms as well. You read from 103. And uh, mine is, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here we are, third Sunday in Galatians. And... uh, What have we learned so far? I I think I kind of heard the first couple of Sundays that uh, Paul is angry. It sounds a little angry. I I wonder if our passage today is still a little bit of uh, of anger. So we're going to hear from Paul again starting in chapter 2. Why is Paul angry? Well, I think you've heard uh, about the accusers. I think you've heard about the Judaizers. I think we've heard that the gospel was distorted and the good news of Jesus, they were mixing other things into it. And so the purity was lost. Paul's apostleship came from direct divine revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul is a Jew He's a Pharisee and is commissioned by Jesus to the Gentiles to preach the gospel of grace and freedom from the law. And that freedom comes through our Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So those first two Sundays, I think a couple of the takeaways were a challenge to look at the gospel that we believe. And see whether we've been adding to it. Whether we've been messing with it. Whether something conscious or unconscious has been happening to the gospel of Jesus and his cross. And then last week to understand fully that we have been set apart. And we're going to take another step in that thinking. Set apart to a calling so that our life can bring glory to God. So an author called Scott McKnight, in his commentary on Galatians, he emphasizes our discipleship and our dependence on the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. The essence, then, is not living by the law. It is living in trust in Christ and depending on the Holy Spirit. The Judaizers were wrong because they sacrificed Christ and the Spirit on the altar of legalism. When a person lives in the Spirit, that person does everything God wants, and so the law cannot condemn that person. Let's jump into chapter 2 of uh, Galatians. And I'm reminded this Sunday that... um, Every verse is the word of God, and uh, Kimball kind of messed on, I mean, we're picking on Kimball today, it's because of his birthday yesterday, but he kind of messed with me because I was supposed to be in chapter one, and then he says, well, no, I'm going to take chapter one, you take chapter two, and I read chapter two and I went, oh, this is way different than what I was expecting to talk about. So here we are, chapter two. Everybody ready? Good. Just want to make a comment the word of God is abbreviated it really is look at the first line then after 14 years hmm let me think about that It was 17 years ago since I was ordained and I'm thinking of all of life that has happened in those 17 years I could talk for an hour and a half Just on what happened in those 17 years. And here we go, yeah, then it's 14 years later. Now, why is the word of God so abbreviated? Why how how can I justify that? So get this. The New Testament is written in Greek. Okay? I think you all know that. All capital letters. That's kind of weird. No punctuation. No periods, no excitement marks, no commas, no semicolons, no hyphens, okay? Greek, all capital letters, no punctuation, and no spaces. What's going through your head? Why? Well, because they didn't have paper. And scrolls could only be so big. You didn't didn't want a big long book and have the scroll stretch from that wall to that wall. So here we are, talking about 14 years, just like that. Because it had to be short, had to fit on a parchment, had to fit on a piece of copper, had to fit on on a piece of parchment. Then 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, the Jews, For he had worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised. Worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. That we should go to the Gentiles. And they, that's Peter to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So this is the passage I wasn't ready for. And it's got these abbreviations, and it's got this information and that information, and it's kind of jumpy. I even had trouble reading it, and I've read it 28 times. We divide the passage into three parts. Verses 1 to 3. Paul's presentation of this message. So here's Paul continuing his biography. Then after 14 years, right? It's his biography. He's talking about what he did previously in Antioch, in Galatia. And he continues to share his biography about coming to Jerusalem. And again, he shared with the leaders the gospel that he received. And most importantly, that he was bringing it to the Gentiles. And he brings along with him two companions, Barnabas and Titus. And here's a little proof of the uncircumcision argument. Titus is a Greek. And lo and behold... He wasn't required to be circumcised. In a way, Paul allows his gospel to be evaluated by the leaders. He's confident in this, and he cooperates with them to build relationship. It is a confirmation, and it builds the argument against the Judaizers. So that's verses 1 to 3. Verses 4 and 5, Paul continues to describe the opposition to his message, God's message. Paul continues to share the opposition that has occurred, including spies. This is getting serious. These Judaizers are serious. They sent in spies. They're spying on him. But Paul will not give an inch in order to preserve the gospel truth. He says, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment. Preservation of the gospel, so important for Paul and for us today. Verses 6 to 10. There is a unity, there is a support by the Jerusalem pillars. Interesting that he uses the word pillars about all I could think about when I was thinking of that ex- expression and uh, was that whenever I see some ruins from Israel or the Middle East, what do you see what's left of these palaces and of all these big garrisons or these, or these amazing uh, pieces of architecture? You see all the pillars left, don't you? You see all these pillars lined up. They they seem to last. They seem to be what's holding up the building. The roof might be gone. The walls are gone. But there's pillars. And Paul calls James, Peter, and John the pillars. The leaders endorse the gospel. They endorse his gospel. The gospel that's been revealed to him directly by Jesus. He has two important points to his argument to the Judaizers. The gospel he is preaching is from Jesus, very unique among the apostles, and he's supported by the pillars of the church in Jerusalem, and they are named specifically. And by the way, Paul says, they didn't have anything to add, they didn't give me anything extra, so nothing was missing, and it was made official with the right hand of fellowship. When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, and when James, Peter, and John gave the right hand of fellowship to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and Peter to the circumcised. There's endorsement, there's confirmation, and there's affirmation. And it's practical and a natural occurrence of what has transpired. Here you go. You go to them, you go to them. There is a division of labor. A decision has been made. And more than that, let's remember it's more than that. They use the word go. Remember I said about the abbreviation and, and, and how it had to be condensed and, and these in, the information we get in the word of God is, is scrunched all together. It's not just go to the Gentiles. It's not just go to the Jews. It's the mission of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's intentional. It is a Going to the Jews and the Gentiles. So we are Gentiles. We are non-Jews. Does everybody know that? Everybody know that? Okay, so we're Gentiles. We've got that established. But what did it mean to go to the Gentiles? What does it mean to us today, that Paul went to the Gentiles. Let me explain. Back in 2015, Jeannie and I had an opportunity to go to Israel. We went with some other family, and we went with about 96 other close friends. So there was three buses, and it was quite a deal, but very well organized, very well organized. We went with, uh, back to the Bible, Uh, from Abbotsford, B.C. And uh, we were on tour buses, on and off, and we got to see the land. I got to walk where Jesus walked. Um, They call the Holy Land the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then there's Israel. When you actually walk on the dirt and the rocks, going to Nazareth, the Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, the Dead Sea, many other places. It was remarkable and life-changing to walk where Jesus walked. And our group of 100 gathered on the last day for just a little photo on the Mount of Olives. So here's the Mount of Olives, a huge valley, actually something like the coolies that we have here between... West Lethbridge and the rest of Lethbridge Valley and then the Temple Mount where there's uh, where the temple used to stand and so we are overlooking the temple and just a beautiful place for a picture for a hundred people and see all Jerusalem in the background. Why am I telling this? Well, our speaker commented that we were Gentiles. And that we were true Gentiles. And I thought, what what, what are you talking about? I I was listening, but I was also taking some mental notes and thinking, well, what does this really mean? What he meant was that we as non-Jews had heard the gospel. Where? In North America. Far, far away from the land of Israel. Far, far away from Antioch, where Paul was reaching the Greeks and the Gentiles. And so the diaspora, the spreading of people and the gospel, we had received the gospel in our hearts back in North America. And now here we were. We had spent almost 24 hours on an airplane. We had come to Israel, and we had returned. We were, in a sense, the fruit of the gospel. The result, dare I say, the response of the mission of Paul to the Gentiles because of his work. We heard the hundred standing on the Mount of Olives getting our picture taken, say cheese. Sure, we're tourists but we're Gentiles and we've come back to see where Jesus walked and where Jesus lived and where he died, and came alive again and ascended into heaven. And we as Gentiles responded and we came to see, we came to walk, and here's proof. I've got the photo of all these Gentiles coming back and having a picture hang on the wall. We're Gentiles, you and me. And the gospel is here and alive and well in North America. And by the way, two billion Christians in the world. How did that happen? It's not just that phrase, oh, Peter will go to the Jews, Paul will go to the Gentiles. How did that happen? That the gospel was for us, the Gentiles. Well, Someone said, you've got to read the book of Galatians alongside with the book of Acts. And probably some other letters of Paul. But I just want to, I'm even going to say, close your eyes if you want. I'm going to read you a bit of a lengthy passage from Acts 11. Just sit back and relax. Listen to the story. This is about Peter in Jerusalem. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Hmm. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Oh my goodness. The same fight is going on in Acts. So when Peter went up, he said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and he explained it. He said, but, but I was in the city of Joppa praying and I, was, and I had a vision. Something like a great sheet descended down and it was being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came to me. And I looked at it closely and I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Everything anti-Jew, by the way. Jews weren't allowed to eat any of this stuff. And I heard a voice saying to me, "'Rise, Peter, kill and eat.' And I said, "'No, Lord, for nothing is common or unclean "'has ever entered my mouth.' But the voice answered from heaven and said, "'What God has made clean, do not call common.'" And just because Peter has a pretty thick head, This happened three times, and then it was all drawn up into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, this is Peter talking, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, the Gentiles, just as on us at the beginning in Jerusalem at Passover when 3,000 souls were saved. And I remembered the word of God. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then God gave them the same gift as us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Well, then to the Gentiles, also God has has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, Peter understands and had a revelation that the gospel should go to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit was for everyone, and Jesus is for everyone. What is a Jew? What is a Jew? How far back do we have to go in the Old Testament? I started with Abraham, and then last night I thought, oh, shoot, I don't know who Abraham's father was. And who was Abraham's grandfather? So anyways, I went all the way back to Noah, and Noah's children. And then Noah's children had children, and they had children. And don't quote me on this, I'm just guessing. I think there's about eight generations, but guess what? There were some folks there that lived 500 years and 200 years and 119, and it was a really long time. But Abraham was the son of one of those great, 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 great grandkids of Noah. So the Jewish people start with Abraham, and his name was Abram. And God made a covenant long ago, and he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And so God called Abraham out of the land that was safe and secure and comfortable and said that he was going to send him to the promised land. And Abraham was elderly with his wife Sarah and he was promised to be the father of a people. And God said, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and they had this many kids how are you gonna get a great people and into a promised land when you have no children and you're 75 or 85 or 95 and there's more the chosen people would be a blessing to the remainder of the world Genesis 12 God says to Abraham all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Jacob had Joseph and Joseph became a leader in Egypt and the chosen people grew and grew and grew so large that eventually the Pharaoh made them his slaves. They were delivered from Egypt by miracles including the Passover, the Passover lamb, the blood on the doorposts. And they were delivered from Egypt, and they went through the desert, across the Red Sea, and into the land of milk and honey, Canaan. So I know a bunch of people, and yeah, it's through the hospital, and... uh, I had about a 45-minute conversation with my Jewish friend. And he had some books, and he gave them to me. And so I'm reading a book that was published in 1957, and it's on the archaeology of Canaan. And the land of Canaan was promised to the Jews, to God's chosen people. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the land, the people of God, the Jews conquered Canaan, starting with Jericho. Now, I'm reading this book from 1957, all these glossy pictures, all this digging that they're doing, and they said there was something remarkable in Canaan. As they're digging through these tells, Atel is a city buried in a pile of dirt. Looks kind of like a coolie. And the distinguishing factor in the land of Canaan for the Jews is that they worshipped one God. Unique because the other cultural groups had many gods, many idols were worshipped, and it was their culture and it was their spiritual life. But when they were digging in these ancient cities... They would dig and dig and dig, idol, 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 figurine, metal, wood, brass, gold. And they'd come to the level where the Israelites lived, no more idols. One God, don't need idols. And then after the Israelites were gone, kept digging, idols, idols, idols. I am a jealous God, God said you will have no other gods before me. And so the worship and sacrifice for sins was only before one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the kings and the prophets rose in the time of the Jews, God's people, and the people ended up splitting into two kingdoms. And because of disobedience, yes, idolatry, because they did not turn away 100% from what they had found in the land of Canaan. They were punished by God and exiled to Babylon. God brought them back. And the intertestamental period, that's between Malachi and Matthew, shows that there was a formation of a variety of groups. The Pharisees, that's our Paul. The Sadducees, Jesus debated with them. The Maccabees, who rose in revolution, swords, spears, in that 400-year period. And the Essenes, who had those jars, the Dead Sea Scrolls, in 100 AD. So there were groups. There was religious groups. And then more than that for the Jewish people, the Roman Empire moved in. And there was an oppressive occupation that occurred during Jesus' time. One of the disciples was a tax collector for the Roman Empire, Matthew. And Jesus, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah, was not recognized by the Jews during his time on earth. Crucified, dead, and buried, he arose on the third day, showed himself to the apostles and he ascended into heaven in plain sight. And an angel came and said, hey guys, what are you looking at? But what followed was the church. The church was formed and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Paul, a Pharisee, attacks these new believers, these Jews. And he has permission, he has letters from the religious leaders in the temple and synagogues to go and get these people of the way, these Christians. Paul did not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, until he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He is a Jew and he has been changed. This is the chosen people of God, the Jews. And in today's passage, the gospel of grace is for the Jews and the Gentiles. We, the Gentiles, and the Jewish people. So, Russ, you alluded to it when you prayed. What's God saying? the people of College Drive today October 15 2023 what do we need to hear God I think God wants to remind us about the mission of the church Peter and Paul are on mission not a mission but God's mission the mission of the church. So a week from tomorrow, I'm going to be attending a little seminar from a pastor by the name of Cam Roxburgh. I've never met him. Looked him up online, and I signed up for the seminar on the 23rd. He's a Vancouver pastor, and he talks about mission. And what I want to do is share what I learned from him, even before the seminar, and also some of the discoveries that I've made. Mission, it's who God is. Can can you hear that? That mission is who God is and his nature, and it's everything about what God does. It's not an activity, and, and, and Russ, you, you, you prayed for missionaries and, and, and I, I don't want to divide or separate or, or say anything wrong here, but I think we let ourselves off the hook of mission when we say, oh yeah, College Drive sends money to Japan, and oh yeah, what about the Neufelds? Oh, Germany, we got it covered. Mission is not an activity. We can get stuck on activity. Mission is our identity. Do you know that when we're asking for teachers for Kids Quest, that's being on mission. That's not, oh, if you have a little bit of time, or if you kind of like kids, or if... No, I'm going to push back on that. I'm going to say, it's our identity. We're joining God on a mission. Mission is evidence that the kingdom of God is in all that we do. Think about it. All that we do. And why is God a missional God? Because he loves us. He wants to restore relationship with us. And he wants to heal this creation. Heal. We're going to put up College Drive's mission. Out of a growing love for God and compassion for others, our mission is to be followers of Jesus and to make followers of Jesus. And College Drive is committed, and by the way, College Drive, not this building, no, not this roof, not this carpet, not this pew, us, us, made in the image of God, us, attenders, members, everyone sitting here and those who join with this body. We are committed to carrying out the Great Commission. Jesus said, go. Go make disciples, while living out the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And so our mission involves decision, making a decision, that's your heart, that's your mind, your volition, your deciding, making a decision to follow Jesus, and discipleship, emulating, copying the life and character of Jesus. You heard me say going to Israel, I wanted to walk where Jesus walked. I wanted to copy him in the very basic walking where he walked and to see and to learn and to grow. Here's what some others have written about mission. Mission is not our initiative. So relax. It's not our initiative. It's not us. It's obedience to God's call. And we heard that last week. We are set apart. God has called us. And this is true of Jesus and it's true of us. So it passes on from father to son to us. Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So it's a rescue mission Jesus' mission in response to his father's sending was a love and rescue mission. A mission of compassion and sacrifice, taking people from oppression and bondage of the evil one into the kingdom of God's righteousness and grace. And guess what? The oppression and bondage of the evil one is right here in Lethbridge... and it's in Israel and on the Gaza Strip, and it's in Ukraine and Russia. All that fighting, all that hatred is no different than what we have here in North America. Our oppression, our bondage, is to materialism, individualism, our own fantasies and fetishes, Whether it's the internet or something worse, it's the freedom. And the freedom comes through the Holy Spirit. It's the freedom that we receive. God's on a mission of compassion and sacrifice, taking people out of oppression. And Jesus talked about his mission, and he used the words from Isaiah. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's one other thing that happens when we're on mission. We forget about ourselves. And all the difficulties that I have, my problems, my car has a flat tire, I can't pay my bills. We forget about the difficulties in our own lives. We forget about ourselves and our present circumstances in life. When we are on mission for eternal significance, those things fade. What are we going to take home with us today? The first that I'd like to encourage you on is to think and pray about mission. In this new way, in this identity way, in this forgetting about ourselves way, in this God has come to rescue from evil and oppression. What would you lift up to Jesus in prayer about mission this week. Would you bring to God your inexperience? Your reluctance? Your doubts? Would you have to say to God, I'm comfy. Thank you very much. So, I'm just going to ask you to start by praying about it. And write down these doubts or this reluctance or this comfort. Write them down as prayer requests. And these last couple weeks, I've read about mission. I've read and read. And everything about mission, the context is being bathed in prayer. It's amazing. People who read and write and work in mission talk about everything being bathed in prayer. Whether it's a person or whether they're talking about city blocks that that they're coming to, to meet and greet people, whether they're talking about a country or a region or a section of the world, they talk about being bathed in prayer. After all, it's not your mission, it's God's mission talked to him about it. And the second thing I thought about was, and it happens in Exploring Leadership class with Kimball, and Kimball will invite members, attenders of this Exploring Leadership class to write a personal mission statement, and I was reminded of a story of a friend who was telling me about a job offer that he had. And I said, so Bill, how did you decide whether you were going to take the job offer or not? And he said, you know what? I went back to my mission statement, something that I had read, uh, written before God, understanding that God had called me, and I wrote my personal mission statement, and I went back to it, And I read it and pondered it and said, God, this is what you gave me. How does this compare to this job offer? And it told him how to make the decision. In a quiet, calm time, he wrote the mission statement. And in the excitement of, I got a job offer, we got to move, we got to pack up. No, take it. Compare it to the mission statement, to what God has revealed to you, and then decide. What did I write up there? Open mouth talk? Um, (laughs) Oops. Um, It's not a bad thing to be thinking about mission. And what God has called you to do. And when the time is there to... And you're with someone who, who is asking, who you know, who, you're, who is with you. You can open your mouth and talk. And share what you've been thinking about. And maybe even a little rehearsal might not hurt. I did it with you when I started talking this morning. Yeah, I'm the child of immigrant parents, and that formed me. Their poverty, their moving, their coming to a new land formed me. And we came to Alberta, and I feel like an Alberta boy. And at an age, I was a teenager and running away from Jesus, and then he got me. And I said, yes. And things really started to change. And things got hard. Those kind of open mouth and talk. The difference, the change that Jesus has made in your life, that's sharing in mission. Authentic community. There are life groups here in College Drive, and it's the idea of disciples making disciples. It's us being on mission together in an authentic way. Did you know not everything can happen on a Sunday? It just can't. We'll be exhausted if we try and fit everything in on a Sunday. It happens during the week, too. We have men's events. We have w- women's Bible study. We have women's events. There's, there's a, a, a men's outing coming up. The goal is authentic community. I'll even use the word intimacy and growth. And don't forget about service. If you're not in a life group, but you're involved at the soup kitchen, that's authentic community. If you're going to do the uh, trunk or trick, or is it, no, trunk or treat, or is it treat or trunk? Trunk, treat. trunk or treat, thank you. Right? That's coming together. That's being together. And it's a service. There's the gulp. There's the welcome desk. There's nursery. We heard about Kids Quest. And number five, what else will you do or apply from your thinking about God's mission? Peter's mission was to the Jews and Paul's was to the Gentiles. In a word of caution, this isn't child's play. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple... Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. It's not child's play. This is heavy stuff. So the question is are you ready to act like a disciple, a doer of the word? A disciple obeys immediately without delay. But that's not us, is it? That's not me all the time. Are you ready to be a disciple maker, however that looks? And doubts, I'm sure you have doubts. This week I was, I was at McDonald's grabbing a coffee after a long day. And two fellas walked up and they held the door for me. And then I went into the inner door and I held that door for them. And I lined up in line with them for our coffees. And one of the men had sad eyes. And the other was limping with a real gait. And I wondered about mission and I wondered about God's rescue plan. And I wondered about my role God's mission, right there in McDonald's. But then I thought, yeah, but I've been all day in the hospital visiting with hurting people, and that's my mission. But what about when I'm in McDonald's? What are God's expectations then? Think about this. A pastor said, you are not a painter on a mission. Let's say you're a painter. You're not a painter and on a mission. You are on a mission and a person who paints in order to be on that mission. Paul ends by saying remember the poor. They asked us to remember the poor. And I was eager to do that, Paul says. And obedience to God's call is not just spiritual, but it's practical. And the mission of Call Drive includes giving, helping, providing, and seeing and noticing the needs of the body inside and outside the church. And our theme is freedom for these sermon series. Freedom in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will do it. And the really scary thing is one, a few times I I read and was thinking about, you need to try something that you can't do. That it would be God who does it. Because you can't. And so the Spirit will empower us to do this and all things. The Spirit of Jesus is alive and living in us. That's the good news for the Jews and the Gentiles and for our mission. And later in chapter 5, Paul says, so I say, live by the Spirit. And so today our scripture was pretty basic. Three parts. The opposition, the blessing, the spies. But the important thing for us today was the mission. The mission of God in our lives. Let's close in prayer. Father God, you have spoken. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul and his perseverance, his tenacity. God, thank you that Paul met you and that he had changed. Changed so much that he went out on mission to the Gentiles. And God, thank you that we have heard the good news. And thank you that disciples can make disciples by your power, through your spirit, and with your guidance. Thank you, God, for your mission and our part in it.